In the second grade, future video game developer Shu Takumi was accused of a crime he did not commit. This event became the basis of one of the trials in Takumi's most well-known video game, Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney, originally released for the Game Boy Advance 20 years ago this week in October of 2001. The injustice that Takumi felt, being wrongly accused and with no one to defend him, planted a seed that grew in his mind as he grew older and became the basis on which the Ace Attorney series was conceived. Today, we're going to take a look back at this incident and talk about Shu Takumi's career leading up to the creation of Phoenix Wright. We'll also talk about the beginning of the visual novel genre and discuss the significance of the Ace Attorney series to it. So stick around and listen carefully for any lies and contradictions as we take today's courtroom trip down memory card lane. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. <laughs> I hope these words find you well. I'm going to leave that in there, just so you know. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the 59th episode of our Video Game Nostalgia Podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week we take a look, yes, we take a look, at one title relevant to the current week in gaming history, and we talk about it. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the game, what it took from the world as its inspiration, and what it gave back to the world and its legacy. Today, we're looking back to the beginning of the Ace Attorney series, Phoenix Wright, Ace Attorney. Originally released for the Game Boy Advance in Japan 20 years ago, today actually, or this week when you finally listen to this, October of 2001. And then it came stateside, uh, released for the Nintendo DS in October of 2005. I'm David Casson, and that voice which interjected, which I'm now about to unmute, is my co-host, who has resorted to objecting to everything I've said ever in my entire life. My brother, Rob Casson. Rob, do you have to object to absolutely everything? Objection. I don't object <laughs> to everything. Just a lot of things. <laughs> just, just everything. Just everything. No, you know what? I think we're going to have to defer to a third party on this one. So I call to the stand, Kiefer. Hold it. Hold it. <laughs> that was a great introduction. Yeah. I could just, have done that better myself. <laughs> just a moment there, Rob. You do object to a lot of things, to David's point. But to Rob's point, he does not object to everything. He just likes to play around with people, you know. He, he likes to voice his opinion but doesn't really care one way or the other. Rob likes to be contrarian sometimes for the uh, <laughs> sake of being contrarian. Very true. Very, very true. Well, returning this time, obviously, is Kiefer Maresh. Kiefer, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> Yay. Hey, Kiefer, are you an Ace Attorney fan? You Phoenix Wright lover? I am. I, uh, I originally started playing the series... <laughs> back early high school and um yeah i've been a fan of it ever since i played the first one and got basically uh my entire friend group in high school to play it as well <laughs> very nice that's nerd i mean uh that sounds cool <laughs> i can't even know one dave and i i owned the first i was one of those people when this was first printed i mean like copies were bought 
absolutely everywhere and they were impossible to find and i was one of the people who had those copies so i i i lose too so i lose too yeah i have a i have um one through four sitting on my shelf in the other room (laughs) there you go on the ds cards so well, uh, I'll start with you, Kiefer. Kiefer, what you've been playing lately? What's what's on your video game deck these days? I've been playing through uh, Tales of Arise recently. That came out a few weeks ago. A new entry in the Tales of series. Um, it's pretty fun. Action RPG. Um, they made a lot of changes to the series to make it more accessible to people who haven't played it before. So if you haven't tried it before, I'd say check it out. Especially if you like action RPGs. Tales of Arise. What was the first one? Arcadia? Uh, the first one was Tales of Fantasia. Fantasia. That's it. That, that was, was... Uh, back in like 86, I think. God damn. <laughs> I might have that year wrong. I don't know. I don't know. Rob, what are you playing? Yeah, I was off a bit. It was 95. So. Oh, 95. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you know yeah. nine years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No biggie. Could have been 84, even the older. Oh, son of a bitch. Uh, Yeah, well, anyway, uh, let's see. This week has been some Diablo 2. Some rune, uh, yeah, a little bit of RuneScape, obviously, (laughs) as always. Click, 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 (laughs) click. And uh, Rocket League a bit. And some Pokemon trading card game online. Yeah, what's with that? Y'all are back into Pokemon. 25th anniversary, Dave. Come on. We did an episode a few weeks ago. Go check it out. And of course, that naturally started the Pokemon thing again. And with the anniversary being coming out and the release of the new anniversary edition cards and tins, it's all relevant again. Pokemon is on the rise, even though it never fell. But it's still rising even more than ever before. So be ready for the swarm. Are you going to take a Pokemon jet across the world? You know, I very well might now that I know they're a damn thing. That's, That's freaking thing? cool. Yes, there are jets that have Pokemon all over them. And the and the flight attendants wear Pokemon uniforms and you get like Pokemon gift bags. And yeah, we, we talked all about it in our episode. In case you're wondering, the Pokemon company makes $3 million a year in licensing rights for these Pokejets. So, wow. Yeah. That's a that's a decent chunk of change right there. <laughs> oh yeah, or maybe not a year, but they make three million dollars. We we talked about it in our breakdown of of how much money, how much money the Pokemon company makes because like licensed Pokemon merchandise eclipses the entirety of the Star Wars franchise, for instance. Oh yeah, so, I, I'm aware. Yeah, it's crazy. Pokemon is a, a monolith, and uh, I don't think that's being toppled anytime soon. Nay. Yeah. Well, since we've already dove back to the 80s or earlier, we might as well head back there because that's where today's story starts. So sometime in that time period, in the second grade, in his second grade, future video game developer Shu Takumi was playing alone at the garbage disposal area in in his schoolyard, and he found a handmade piggy bank. It was an empty can with uh, origami stuck on the outside, you know, made made to look like a piggy bank. And inside the piggy bank was a single five yen coin. He took it. He didn't give it much thought beyond that. He found it outside of a trash can and he went home. Takumi went back to school the next day and was called in front of the class and accused of being a thief. Now, he's in the second grade. He didn't really understand what was happening at the time. 
and he was told by a teacher who he didn't know to apologize to a girl he didn't know, which he did again and again. He apologized profusely. You know, so sorry, so sorry. Uh, it, you know, it wasn't until later that Takumi des- deduced that what, what had probably happened was that someone had taken the piggyback bank from the from the classmate and left it in the disposable in the in the garbage area as a prank on the girl. And then coincidentally, Takumi picked up said piggy bank and someone watched him basically take the five yen coin out of it. Now, this incident stuck with Takumi. stuck with him through his childhood stuck with him into his adulthood and would definitely influence him later on in life an interesting thing about that uh class trial that takumi experienced not only was it a teacher that he didn't know it actually wasn't even his class the prank was uh by some upperclassmen yeah i mean exactly he just happened to find a you know, hey, what's this? Uh, any one of us have done that. You find something on the ground. You, there's no one around. You don't know who it belongs to. You know, you, you pick it up, you play with it, you take it or something and you move on with your day. We don't think about anything more than that as children. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, who hasn't just, you know, picked something up off the playground, wandered around with it? Yeah. You know, it, it's it's funny. It's it's. I think it's the type of event that any one of us have experienced and yeah, I mean, any one of us has experienced, but in this case it was, it was the seed. Like it, it, it it was an incident that literally planted the seed for, I mean, one of the most influential visual novel franchises out there at the moment, you know? A lot of people, I'm sure, uh, are glad it happened. Maybe not Takumi <laughs> at the time, but it's <laughs> very true. Very I don't true. know. He might have been pretty excited about it if it made him develop a whole game around the idea. Yeah, yeah but himself innocent. It took him a while to get to that point. Well, it he did. was in second grade. You ever wonder a second grader to feel to program a whole game? Come yeah. on. Yeah, why you not? You never know. You never know. There's, okay. there's, there's it's kids. Japan, but you, they're still hey. even there. Do they need time? Hey, hold on a second. You've seen second players playing Minecraft. You've seen the crap that they can do with Redstone. That's basically programming. Yeah, that's true. Okay, okay. you got me there. I forgot about the Minecraft programming. <laughs> I mean, I literally watched people who've made Pokemon red and blue in in that. So, yeah. So you're right. It would be some time before this incident, you know, and and, and the series uh, in which it inspired would would come to fruition. Uh, but first, sometime later in 1994, Shu was hired to work at Capcom. Now, he wasn't looking for this job per se he didn't he didn't go to be a game developer shu went to capcom studios at the advice of a friend who worked for him and what takumi really wanted to do was he wanted to be an author he wanted to write and his friend basically was like hey you know work for capcom being a game developer is super cool come on let's do this and so takumi went to his interview and as the interview was winding down He felt like he didn't do enough, like there was still something left on the table. And so he literally had an ace up his sleeve. For those of you who don't know, Takumi is an avid magician and he basically performed a magic trick and the interviewer loved it. And the interviewer basically wanted to know how it was done. Now, I mean, 
Typically, magicians don't reveal their tricks, but Takumi really wanted the job. So he divulged his secrets and got hired onto uh, Capcom as a, I think, game designer in the beginning. So, Note to self, learn some magic tricks for your next I, programming interview. I, I know, right? I know. So early on in his Capcom career, uh, Takumi was assigned to work on Dino Crisis. Dino Crisis is a 1999 survival horror game that was developed by the same team that worked on Resident Evil 1. So they went from RE1 to Dino Crisis. That was an arcade game, right? Nope. That was Time Crisis. Dino Crisis, oh. was, <laughs> Dino Crisis was actually released for the PlayStation. Yeah, no, you, you knew which what I was talking about. Time yeah, Crisis. I love Time Crisis. I Clearly used to I waste, yeah. waste so much money on Time Crisis at every arcade I ever went. That's when I used to go to the Butterfly to play Time Crisis and uh, DDR. Those were my, my vices. Yep. Sounds right. I mm-hmm. wonder where I got my tasting game from. <laughs> so at one point during the development process, the whole Dino Crisis team was pulled to work on the original version of Resident Evil 2 that never ended up seeing the light of day. Um, I don't know. I We haven't re- we, we did a Resident Evil 1 mess, uh, episode, but we haven't done RE2. So basically, in case you didn't know, there was this whole copy of Resident Evil 2 that's affectionately called Resident Evil 1.5 that they basically made a majority of a game, didn't like it, hated it, and they scrubbed it and started from scratch until we got the RE2 Resident Evil 2 that we have now. Little fun fact. Maybe we'll we'll talk more about that on an RE2 episode. But but after, you know, that debacle ended, Dino Crisis was finished. Takumi was given the task of directing its sequel, Dino Crisis 2, which ended up being a critical and commercial success. And so after Dino Crisis 2, he was basically given his own team. It was small. It was seven people and six months to make whatever game he wanted. Now... Takumi had originally joined Capcom to make mystery and adventure games. And so he saw this. This was his chance, right? He finally wanted to make his mark on the gaming industry. And the back of his mind, there was that little incident, you know? And so he thought about a game in which a player could discover lies or contradictions in statements. You know, remember that he wanted to be a writer. So for him, the the original basis of the game was all about, you know, it, it was all about a story that he could write. And that, like I said, the player would have to discover lies or contradictions in statements. Um, Kiefer, it stayed that way for the most part, didn't it? Yeah. Now, if I recall correctly, it wasn't originally going to be about courtroom cases. It was mainly like detective work. Yeah, very true. That idea didn't go away. It shifted towards the courtrooms, but um, the detective work actually didn't see the light of day up until the past few years when uh, Takumi came out with the newer games, Great Ace Attorney, where he re-implemented the detective work. Into yeah, it. it's it's really funny how he, he got around to that. Like, he had this original idea and it didn't work. So you're right. It was going to be a detective game. The main character was originally going to be a private investigator who finds a body at his client's office and he's arrested with his hands in the honeypot per se, cause he's there with a dead body. And at his trial, he was going to be assigned a, a lawyer and this lawyer was going to be crap. He was going to be completely useless. And the main character was then going to take up his own defense. And as Takumi worked this angle, he kind of realized that, that 
what he wanted with the writing, how he wanted to figure out, to find, and to take apart contradictions, he realized that it that wasn't detective work. You know, and so as you said, as part of this revelation and working through it, Takumi decided that the main setting of the game should be courtrooms. Um, now, th- it wasn't a popular idea at first. You know, when you hear courtrooms, you think of law and you think of legal knowledge. And let's be honest, none of us really have that. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, if you're pitching an idea to someone, uh, one of the least attractive ideas of a game is you get to play as a lawyer (laughs) very true i don't even think people who are lawyers want to play video games as lawyers (laughs) probably not i mean it's a lot of work um but you know people people that he pitched it to they couldn't they couldn't wrap their head around uh, uh, the concept of of an ace attorney you know that they couldn't but takumi emphasized the fact that the main point was solving puzzles and calling witnesses out on their bullshit, basically, which is, which is, I mean, come on, that's the basis of, of Phoenix, right? Uh, yeah. Know? And apparently literally everyone is bullshitting in that game ever. <laughs> oh, it's great. <laughs> it's fantastic. It's, it's so good. Yeah. So, and, and so we have, you know, Phoenix, Wright. So I want to talk about that for a second. Phoenix, Wright, Ace attorney, is a visual novel adventure game. And I don't think that we've looked at any visual novels up until this point. So let's kind of take a moment, take a step back and talk about a visual novel. So visual novels are a type of IV or IF rather interactive fiction. They're text-based stories that have more of a narrative style of literature and readers can interact with these stories through the help of uh, visuals, basically pictures basically a picture book that helps you become part of the story is that a fair assessment i'd say so yeah at one point visual novels absolutely dominated the japanese market in 2006 for instance nearly 70 percent of all pc titles released were visual novels Uh, i know right yeah and a lot of uh popular anime at that time were based off of visual novels okay (laughs) yeah yeah anime wink wink Prior to that, though, I mean, up until Ace Attorney came out, visual novels as a genre was non-existent here in the West, though. It may have dominated the Japanese market, but it was, I mean, I I can't remember visual novels before this, to be honest with you. So now from the game perspective, you know, visual novels are generally distinguished from other gameplay types by their minimal gameplay. You click to keep the text, the graphics, or the sound moving. You get to make some narrative choices along the way. You know, most visual novels have multiple storylines, more than one ending, and along the way, you're basically given different multiple choice decision points along the way that allow you to choose your storyline, your ending, so on and so forth. And that's kind of the draw to a visual novel. You know, they have multiple branching storylines, that allow you to achieve multiple different and en- different endings. And these are called nonlinear branching storylines. It's basically in a fan. That's a really complicated way of saying it's a digital version of a choose your own adventure novel. Were either of you into choose your own adventure novels ever? Uh, I read some of the uh, choose your own adventure goosebump books. That was about it though. <laughs> yeah. Same here. That's the same ones that I did. Man, I I used to freaking read. Choose, I love choose your own adventure novels from a kid. As from a kid, as a kid, 
um, from a kid because the right. adult ones were useless. Um, I don't yeah, even I, remember any of any choose your own adventure novels other than the Goosebump ones. Oh so. man, there was a yeah, really whole. Sweet. I mean, I know there were some, but I don't remember. Like, I don't. I can't I think can't... of any like names. Uh, you know right. what? Here's the truth. I couldn't tell you any of the, any of the the stories. I mean, like, I remember a, a fantasy based one. I remember a robot one. Like, I remember bits and pieces, but I couldn't tell you the titles. But I very distinctly remember the white cover with the choose your own adventure in red font on the front of it. And underneath that, and the choose your own adventure was circled and underneath it was going to be a picture of what the story was about and away you go. Like that was, I think I always would get at least one choose your own adventure novel from the library when I, when I got to take books out from the library. So that sounds like a good time. They were, they were awesome, you know, but then after a while you didn't have to, you know, Video games kind of took over that that genre. Um, and in the very best visual novels, each path that you take only reveals certain aspects of the overall storyline. And it's really only by uncovering all the different paths and, and outcomes through multiple playthroughs that every component comes together for a, a coherent, well-written story. Some of them actually like lock the true ending quote until you've done all of the other ones. So they like to bring all that information together sometimes. Hmm. Weird. Yes, weird. So so the history of visual novels goes all the way back to 1981. And we've talked about this person in a different context, but not as the father of visual novels. So it was way back in 81 that Yuji Horii, who's best known as the creator of the Dragon Quest series, created the first one. Uh, Rob, we've talked about Yuji Hori before. Hmm. He was a supervisor and a, and the writer of Chrono Trigger on our 50th episode. So we did it nine episodes ago. Well, yeah, he also was the, the guy who created the Dragon Quest series. Also like created the Dragon Quest series. So like, I mean, we two things we've mentioned. Before, before Dragon Quest, though, was the Portopia serial murder case. Now, the Portopia hmm. serial murder case was an adventure game. It was originally published for the NEC PC 6001, which was one of the early NEC PCs. It was later ported to other types of PCs. It was ported to the Nintendo Famicom or Family Computer. And since then, it's also been brought to mobile uh, mobile phones. What the hell's an NEC PC? I mean, it was a non-IBM PC back in the 80s, basically. Oh, it was just another brand? It was just another brand, yes. Oh, okay. Yes, yes, yes. But they were different because, like, you're used to PCs when they were, you know, um, all MS-DOS. You know, you had Mac and DOS, but at one point you had NEC and you had Commodore and you had Atari and, and they kind of all did their own thing. So... NEC PC was its own entity. Gotcha. I know I'm too old. Seasonor. <laughs> <laughs> so in the Portopia serial murder case, the player basically solves a murder mystery. You search for clues, you explore areas, you interact with characters, there's item-based puzzles, and Portopia was I mean, it was innovative for its time. It had first-person graphics, non-linear gameplay. It was an open world. You could have conversations with NPCs. There were branching dialogue choices, interrogations, 
nonlinear storytelling, plot twists. It has a lot of things that are golden standards nowadays, but in 1981, it honestly, it was, it was special. It was, it was very special. Basically creating a genre sounds like par for the course for Yuji Hori. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's so <laughs> <Yep>. true. <laughs> you know, Portopia was, it was a very influential title for early, I'd say Japanese video game development. And there are some very notable designers that cite it as one of the reasons they got into the industry. One very well-known designer is Metal Gear series creator Hideo Kojima. So Kojima basically has said in an interview, this is the reason why I make video games. Uh, that and Mario. So the visual novel genre persisted for years in Japan, like I had said. But really prior to the year 2000, there were very few visual novels that were ever translated from Japanese into any other language. But that would kind of change when Phoenix Wright was released to the world. And so going back to Phoenix Wright, I think it's really important to talk about writing because that's what Takumi wanted. He came to Capcom to be a writer. And more than anything, Phoenix Wright gave him the opportunity to write, right? Well, are you saying that he came to write Phoenix Wright? <laughs> Damn. That's right. Oh, man. <laughs> If I was it's any, all right, Dave. If I, if I was any good at writing myself, I would have found that joke somewhere in there, and I did not. So kudos to you both. Okay. Come on, that joke's all over the trilogy. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, very true. So in writing, Takumi felt that the best way to write a mystery with a good climax is basically to reveal various clues, pull them together into one conclusion, and to not have multiple endings. And so, like basically wanted the player to feel like they drove the story forward themselves with their own choices and really struggled. You know, he said that one of the biggest challenges with the game is basically making this concept, the story and the gameplay work together. So yeah, let's talk about Kiefer. Let's talk about the stories in the first Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney. Do you remember, do you remember the first trial? Yes, I actually replayed the uh, trilogy not too long ago in preparation for the Great Ace Attorney Chronicles coming out. I'm fairly familiar with the first trilogy at the moment. The first trial is called, first of all, the first turnabout. Um, yep. And it's Phoenix Wright's first trial under his mentor, Mia Fey, who he is his boss at the... Fay Law Offices, I think it's called. I don't remember exactly. But uh, it introduces Phoenix Wright, his mentor, Mia Fay, his uh, childhood friend, Larry Butts. And it basically, yes, Butts is his last name. <laughs> I mean, come on. We got to go through this because some of the, 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 the names, I mean, when they localized Phoenix Wright, they did, I mean, just a pristine job. The names are brilliant as you go through this. They had a lot of freedom with yeah. naming the characters in the trilogy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, the first game is, or I'm sorry, the first trial is essentially just a courtroom section that just teaches you how to perform the basics of the courtroom sections of the game because the game is split into investigation sections and courtroom sections. Obviously, in the investigation uh, sections, you gather evidence for the courtroom sections, but in the first case of each game, it's just a courtroom and the evidence is presented to you throughout the trial to use rather than you gathering it. Very true. So the first one, if I remember correctly, 
That's the one where basically there's a dead woman and someone beat her with the statue of the thinker. Yes, Cindy Stone. And it was a clock. And the clock stopped at a certain time. And that's how they found out that someone was lying and caught the guy, right? Mm-hmm. So it the follows the anime. Was... Ha-ha! <laughs> the clock <laughs> Or the anime was, follows uh... the game. Yeah, anime follows the game. Um, the clock was uh, six hours ahead, if I recall correctly. Nah, I don't remember that much, but I did remember seeing that episode, so I know. <laughs> it's so exciting. I actually know what you guys are talking about for once. <laughs> Oh, wow. Wow, 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 <laughs> wow, wow. <sighs> but, but you're not wrong because it's the time. Isn't the time the contradiction that he he catches him in? Like, yes. Yep. Yeah. The, because but, uh, the, the perpetrator remembers the specific time that the clock reads, which is not the correct time of the murder. Right. The, the murder weapon, the clock. <laughs> that's the best. Oh, not the thinker. That's the that's the twist there. It's not the thinker statue. It's the clock. I oh. think it's a clock. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, uh, you would be right, Kiefer. Uh, my goodness. <laughs> Welcome did to that, Living with Robin Did that Kiefer. joke... Uh, David, did that joke give you a little bit of pain? Oh no! The, the, for for the or the listeners, uh, the prosecutor in the first case is named um, Winston Payne. Winston Payne, yes, indeedy, <laughs> Winston Payne. Oh man, who was the? Do we know who the judge in the first one was? His the name ju- is just Judge. It's just yep. Judge. The judge is never given a name. Mm. He is given the nickname Udgy. But that's it. <laughs> is there any background on that? Because I'm curious now. Uh, the chief of police is old friends with him, and he calls him Udgy. Okay. Good enough. Well, if it's not obvious, there's going to be some spoilers here. So if you have never played Phoenix Wright, Ace Attorney, and you don't want to know the story, I have it ruined for you. You might want to stop here because I don't feel like we've ruined anything by talking about just the tutorial episode. Uh, tutorial, yeah, episode because there are episodes in it. With that being said, we're going to dive right into the second one when things get a little heavy, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. So in the first one, and Phoenix Wright, you know, wins the course and he's got his mentor, Mia Faye, alongside oh. him. And the second one, the second episode called The Turnabout Sisters. She no more. She no more. Uh, Phoenix Wright's mentor, Mia Faye, is murdered. And her and his younger, her younger sister, Maya, Maya Faye, is accused of the crime. And this which, is when uh, we- which is a, a running theme in this series. Yes. Maya Faye being accused of things. Yeah, hell yeah. Man, that poor girl. But this is the first time we meet uh we meet the antagonist. We meet his his nemesis and later on star of one of the games, isn't it? Doesn't Edgeworth have his own game? He has he has two. He has two. He has Ace Attorney Investigations and Investigations Two, but Investigations Two was never brought over to the United States. It's Japan only. Gotcha. So yeah. So we get we get to meet Miles Edwards. He's he's the chief prosecutor of the prosecutor's office, 
And he's the one. Well, that's pro- technically, when he's introduced, he is not yet. Oh, not yet the chief. That is very true. No, but isn't it true that he had not lost a case prior to this? That is correct. He's considered a prodigy of prosecutors. Yeah. He became a prosecutor at age 17 or 18. And he hadn't oh. lost a case until this point when he's 23 or 24. So a pretty good background. Pretty good Pretty good at what he did. Does. Pretty good at what he did. But that thinker statue, man, that... uh. That's that's quite a weapon there, huh? Oh yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe someone should have got rid of that instead of <laughs> instead of leaving it in the office. Well, I think Mio was trying to. Yeah, probably. <laughs> it's just an easy joke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. oh man. So yes, his mentor Mia Fey gets murdered with. The statue, the thinker statue that was given as a gift. It was given as a gift to celebrate to celebrate the the win over the first case, wasn't it? Probably. Um, I might be inferring so, on that one. I thought someone went on vacation and it was so, a gift from the like a souvenir. There are two thinker statues. Okay. There's the one that was the murder weapon in the first case. And then there's also the one that was gifted to Mia Fey at the end of the first case by Larry Butts, because Larry created both of them. He created one for himself and one for his girlfriend. Gotcha. Yes. So Phoenix comes in, finds Mia gone, Maya over Maya, Maya over her. <laughs> Dick Gumshoe, the detective. What what how what a what a fine detective name, let me tell you. Dick gumshoe <laughs> <laughs> i mean i it's like he was born to do his job that's right <laughs> it's so true it's so true uh you know i didn't know that dick uh, gumshoe was born in 86 or 87 and that makes me kind of sad because i'm still older than he is yeah these games uh actually started uh in universe in 2016 so five years oh. ago my goodness. I was even older. Yeah, yeah. Well, it makes me sad. Really does. So, but yeah. What, uh, I, God, I, I, I did not replay this to go in there, but I played it a bunch of times. What was the contradiction they caught uh, them on in the, in the, in this one? Do you remember? So, in this one, basically to summarize the case, Mia Fey was looking into a string of murders by um, Red White, the CEO of Blue Corp. <laughs> Good name, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Um, Red White is was a very influential person in that he basically had a blackmail authority over every high-ranking official in the country, essentially. So after Mia got really close to being able to indict him, he found out because he was tapping her phone and uh, has her murdered, or I guess murders her. And by the time Phoenix pulls him onto the stand, he pressures him enough for him to mention a glass lamp that didn't exist in the uh, office until the day of the murder. And uh, Red White claims that he visited the office a few days prior 
So that's how he knew the layout. But obviously he couldn't have known that the glass lamp existed without being there on the day of the murder. Especially considering the glass lamp had shattered to pieces in the fight or in the struggle uh, to kill Mia Fey. So originally this episode, the first turnabout was written as it was written as the, the game's first episode. However, in development, the development team decided that its length, as well as other factors, it, it wasn't good as a tutorial. It, 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 they wanted to give, I guess they wanted to, I, well, let's look at it from the story standpoint, right? If you start out with, you know, Mia dying right in the beginning, there's no attachment to her whatsoever. So you would have to have written some backstory or a little introduction to it, which is what they ended up doing. You know, they wrote a short episode, the first turnaround that was, you know, um, that was, that was used, you know, interestingly enough, there does seem to be a little bit of the tutorial that stayed in the second case, because uh, in the second case, is where you learn how to press witnesses to get more information out of them. You don't have to do that at all in the first trial. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That brings us to the third episode. Uh, the third episode was written, uh, according to Takumi, to emphasize the character of Miles Edgeworth. So what uh, turn about Samurai, right? Yes. Do you feel like the third episode emphasizes Miles Edgeworth? Um, honestly, I don't think Edgeworth really comes into his own until the fourth case, but, um, I think cases two and three are more to develop the relationship between Phoenix and Edgeworth more than, uh, emphasize Edgeworth as a character himself. Um, because you don't really get to learn much about Edgeworth until the fourth case. Well, it's true. You know, the third episode was said to have been written for the character and the fourth episode was said to be a a rekindling of the relationship between Phoenix Wright and Edgeworth. You know, in in these, uh, as you go from the third to the fourth, Takumi has said that he really tried to portray a a strong friendship between Phoenix Wright and Miles Edgeworth. I swear I didn't read your notes there. I was just kind of saying what was on my mind. (laughs) (laughs) You know, um, Let's talk about the fourth one. You know, as I I start out this episode by talking about the classroom incident, you know, we're in second grade, you know, Takumi was accused of stealing the five yen coin. This is the basis for the quote unquote class trial that comes up in the game's fourth episode, right? That, but that's not all that comes in. It's not just the class trial. The class trial is, well, A, the class trial is not the trial. It's background story that's given during the trial, basically, Right. Yeah, so the class trial... Because Edgeworth is accused of murder in the fourth episode. Yes, but Phoenix agrees to take on Edgeworth's case as uh, basically to pay him back for um, the class trial that happened when Phoenix was a child. So to relate that back to the the class trial that Takumi experienced... Mm -hmm. When Phoenix was in second grade, uh, he was accused of stealing a classmate's lunch money and no one in the class believed him up until Edgeworth, who was also in his class, stood up for him 
and told people to not accuse him without any evidence. At which point Larry Butts also chimes in and he's like, yeah, don't bully him. You don't know that he did anything. He didn't, he said he didn't do it. So he didn't do it. And then, uh, the teacher is like, okay, fine. I'll replace it with my own money then. And, uh, everything goes on as normal, but, uh, Phoenix doesn't forget that. No, he doesn't forget it at all. And in fact, if I basically, he asks Edgeworth why Phoenix asks Edgeworth why he wanted to defend him. And that's when we learn that Edgeworth wanted to be just like his father, who was a well-known defense attorney called Gregory Edgeworth. And this trial also references the, what is it? The DL six incident where we Correct. basically, we basically find out that Gregory Edgeworth was murdered. Uh, and that incident is, that incident is pretty much what, where we find Phoenix wanted to become a attorney based on that incident. Isn't that how it progresses? So not exactly. Phoenix actually was going to school to uh, study art originally. He had an interest in law, but uh, he didn't shift to um, law until uh, we're getting into third game uh, territory here. But um, he was accused of a murder when he was in college, and uh, Mia Faye was actually his defense attorney at that time. Uh, At the same time, he learned that Edgeworth had become a prosecutor. So he was inspired by Mia uh, to become a defense attorney because it would give him the chance to meet Edgeworth again, who after the class trial and that's mentioned in the first game moved away due to the DL six incident, which happens. Gotcha. 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 Do we want to talk about the fifth episode? <laughs> Well, uh, okay, so let's be fair. The fifth episode, Rise from the Ashes, uh, was added to the Nintendo DS remake. So pretty much all of us who played it, you know, when it came here to North America, never played it without the fifth episode. Right. But it's it's different, you know, and it doesn't it doesn't follow the narrative structure of the first four where we learn about phoenix Wright and all these other relationships you know that that's that all the 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 first four episodes we get mia and we get miles and and it's all about them and then you have the fifth episode and to a lot of people i i mean to me it's out of place to be honest with you so so the the thing i have gripes with the with uh rise from the ashes which is the fifth case It's not a bad case. Don't get me wrong, but narratively, it doesn't make any sense. No, and it it doesn't belong there, I think is the problem. It belongs somewhere. I mean, it's one of the longest episodes. It's one of the longest episodes, period, in any of the Ace Attorney series. I think it's considered Uh, the third or fourth longest case in the series. Is it now? It's gone. It's it's been eclipsed now. Um, Oh, yeah. The... uh, the fifth case in Great Ace Attorney is like twelve hours long. Oh, good what lord! The hell? <laughs> oh my great goodly goodly moogly! I mean, it's, I'm looking. It's like I'm ten look- hours, even if you're skipping a bunch of optional dialogue. <laughs> I'm I'm looking it up now. Episode five, uh, Rise from the Ashes, is three chapters, investigation chapters, and seven trial chapters. So, yes. 
Whew. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. I, 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 I think it's a good episode. I just don't feel like it belonged where it was put. So and I've, there's not really anywhere else you can put it though. Yeah. Because yeah. of the fact the characters that it uses and what it's trying to develop um, only fits in that spot. But at the same time, the development for the characters that it achieves specifically for Edgeworth uh, makes absolutely no sense with the ending of the first game and his development in the third game. Because what he... Essentially, at the end of the first game, he quits his job to go find himself, right? Yep. And then he comes back in the third game with this mentality of, I'm a prosecutor not to get people guilty, but to try to find the truth in these matters so that uh, we can get to the bottom of all these incidents. But with Rise from the Ashes, he's taught that already because he and Phoenix work together to find the truth of the matter that happens, the uh, SL9 incident in this case, regarding the chief of police and uh, a murder that had happened seven years ago, I think. Well, and that, I mean, that's, that's basically, that's the concept behind this episode, right? The the mm-hmm. whole concept was the corruption of the police, the corruption of the prosecutor's office. And basically you're right. I mean, it was, it was a story. It was an episode basically that was designed to, to explain Miles Edgeworth's disappearance in justice for all um, by basically giving an event that was going to be, you know, blow his mind in a bad way <laughs> so see that it doesn't even really work there because they kind of moved around the ending of the first game to put it after that because yeah. obviously he leaves after um uh i don't remember what the fourth case is called exactly at this moment but um in the original game he leaves after that and that's part of the story but they took the chunk at the end where edgeworth leaves and dropped it at the end of uh rise from the ashes so <sighs> It's like they're trying to give a reason for Edgeworth to leave, but he kind of already had that reason. But what he learns about himself in that case destroys what he's trying to learn about himself between the second and the third game. Also, why? Why no turnabout? It's the only non-turnabout in the entire original trilogy. I mean, come on. So uh, I, I attribute that to it was designed in conjunction with Apollo justice. It was basically the, the beta test for it. Hence the 3d elements in that case that don't exist anywhere else. So that's another gripe I have with that case. It's got the difficulty of a case that belongs at the end of the third game at the beginning of the first game. So it turns off some people and they just don't finish it. Yep. Yep. For sure. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I don't know. I mean, you're right. It's a good episode. It just, it, could have been better in it, it there's a lot of room for improvement in it that's for sure so. if it was there from the start it probably would have made a lot more sense but because it was added in retroactively it kind of uh, doesn't belong in my opinion and, and it's sad too because i mean you know back to the writing you know i i, I the writing of this really intrigued me because that's my background that's you know as a writer mm-hmm it just it's not good 
<laughs> it's not good we're in place that's all and they did so good you know that uh to be fair there's there's a few points in phoenix right where it's like that doesn't make any sense yeah why wh- yeah. Why, why is that i don't understand <laughs> yeah well and there's probably reasons for it so like the phoenix Wright himself you know takumi's come right out and said that he really didn't write a backstory at first you know he he made up the dialogue and he developed phoenix Wright's personality as he went along which is i don't know i guess that's kind of fascinating that's that's not how you typically write a character but that's what he said he did well that's how some people write things for example not that this is a good example but for example um uh Dragon Ball was written that way. There wasn't an overarching story for that when uh, it was first started. It just kind of came week by week. Back back to Chrono Trigger and people who worked on Chrono Trigger, eh? eh? Yeah, eh? yep. yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, and Dragon Quest. And Dragon Quest, exactly. Um, another thing, you know, Takumi basically has said that Phoenix is him in everything but name. And he attributes the dialogue, you know, what Phoenix said in each situation. He thought about what he would have said in each situation. So, you know, he put a lot of himself into into it. And and to be fair, you know, based on the criticism I just provided, he he even has it later admitted, you know, he was a first time writer who really didn't think about developing characterization before writing the story, you know, and, and that's, and, and yeah, that, that's something that a lot of writers do early on. They don't, they're not D and D people who write their character sheets out, I guess, you know, Phoenix basically being Takumi's personality makes a whole lot of sense for a specific case in case four, because, uh, for anyone that doesn't know, um, Takumi wrote the first three games, he, right. And then he was a scenario planner for the fourth game, but he didn't necessarily write everything. Um, and then there's a flashback case in four, which happens like two months after the end of the third game where Phoenix's personality is extremely different. So it's like, this doesn't seem right. And it, it kind of makes sense that uh, if Takumi didn't write that, that's where the uh, personality shift comes from. Yep. Very, very, very true. It was, uh, yeah, it, I mean, he gave it up to someone else. And I wonder if at that time he had to write that backstory at that point. You know, what I, well, I mean, by the end of the third series, we had established a lot of the backstory. It was it was pretty much already written. Yeah. Yep, well, yep, yep, yep. He, so after the first game, they came back to him after it was successful and they're like, we want two more. So he did plan out the second and third games. It's just the first one that he didn't really have any backstory. Hmm. interesting 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 there's actually case uh three i think it's the third case in in the third game was actually supposed to be in the second game initially and they just they moved it because i i don't really remember the reason why but i think it was because the fourth case in um the second game was like really long and then uh there were a couple really short cases in the third game Oh, yeah, they bounce around with the timeline a little bit in that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, yeah, I remember. That's why they're out of order. I dab- I played a little bit of this first one in preparation for the episode. I didn't get through it, but I don't remember the second or third. I, 
I remember playing the, I mean, I have the original trilogy and then, uh, and then it just kind of, you know, just kind of fell to the wayside for me. But mm-hmm. a lot for me in anticipation of this episode, literally an hour before we started recording, I did by the trilogy. So it's definitely on my playlist. So <laughs> just didn't get to it before the thing. Cause you know, I like sales and it was on sale. So figured why not? Rob, you yeah. do know you do know that I tell everyone that the only reason why I do this podcast is to get you to buy video games that you would <laughs> never and you would never have played in any other context whatsoever. Well, you see, know. that's where you're wrong because I at least have knowledge of this one and would have played it. I just hadn't bought it yet because it wasn't on sale at the times that I looked. Because that's part of the fun of this, you know what I mean? Like I got, I have eleven, you know, eleven plus years. Let's say mine plus all my background. I have all this extra video game stuff. And I'm like, how did you not play like Diablo? How did you never play a Diablo before we did a Diablo episode? That's still, that's still uh, to, blows my mind. To be fair, I never did either. I've played Diablo clones, <laughs> but I never played Diablo itself. Oh my Thank God. Oh, and it's not really, old. it's not really for a, a lack of uh, friends wanting to play it. It was just, I never got around to it. My, exactly my goodness I, you, uh, I get we all have those i mean there's even series i have like that nowadays but it's just so weird you know i guess it's so weird for me because i was <laughs> gonna date myself in a moment we talk about all these games that are literally like the creation of the genres you know we talked about civ and we talked about doom and we, we we've done all this and i was there for that <laughs> And sometimes I take that for granted, you know, because when when the new latest and greatest thing comes out, everyone has to play it. Everyone played Diablo when Diablo came out like that knocked that that, that was amazing, you know. Mm-hmm. And but by the time y'all came around, no, not so much. <laughs> not so yeah. much. To be fair, yeah. I did. Ha- I did have exposure to a lot of those through my older brothers and my mom, who I mentioned last episode that I was on. Uh, she used to play a bunch of games as well. So like I've got an Atari, I got a, a Coleco. Um I have a bunch of older consoles that I have had exposure to those earlier games from. It's just some of them I never got around to. Yeah, very true. I I'm well, we all like I said we all have those games. Uh, my mine yeah. as mine as longtime listeners know is Kotor. I've never played Kotor, either Kotor even Well even then still. Uh, which <sighs> you get around to it on the remake that they're doing. And well that's Ironically. my thing. Yeah. I had a coworker today. I was playing Star Wars Galaxy Heroes on my phone. He comes in and we're talking, you know, this guy's older than you, Dave. And he comes in. He's like, oh, are you playing uh, Knights of the Old Republic there? And I'm like, no. So we started talking. And the guy was like, oh, yeah, I played that thing when it came out. Like I played when it first released. I had it on the original Xbox. And I was like, mm-hmm. well, that's freaking awesome. What the I mean, hell? I-, I remember that. And I have friends who are huge KOTOR fans. And they always they always used to go, Dave, you got to play this. You'll love this. You got to play this. And I played all the other early Bioware stuff like Jedi, Jade Empire, for instance, you know, and, and mm-hmm. I don't know why it didn't. Now, I've played, what, five or six hours into the first game, too, and then I stopped. I stopped, and now I'm on the fence again because of the remake. I, I don't know what I'm going to do yet. I haven't decided, so. Well, to be fair, like I was talking to Todd about who was the gentleman, um, for me, I, I played about half an hour, and the reason that that was only half an hour is because after 20 minutes, I got into a game breaking bug that wouldn't let me continue. And I spent 10 minutes trying to get it and said, you know what? I'm done trying and haven't gone back. Yeah, it was really weird. I was in the ship and I was trying to go through a door and I clicked on the door and it was just like, nah, you're not going through that door. 
So um, apparently KOTOR has a lot of those because on on my uh, first playthrough of that game, um, I got like 80% of the way through the game. And then for some reason on the ship map, it unlocked the post game world for no reason. And it let me go there, but you're not supposed to go there because uh, one of the characters that you get late game or is technically optional um but you need them for this planet uh i didn't have so i couldn't do anything on the planet and it doesn't let you leave until you do that thing oh (laughs) cool well hey you know as much as we want to play it dave maybe we do wait for the remake so that we don't run into so many game breaking bugs but also maybe that's half the fun of the game some games so that I mean, some games bugs are part of it. Uh, I don't know about game breaking ones, but some games are part of it. So. Yes, yeah, soft locking you like thirty hours into a game is not cool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, but I mean, just imagine if it made you restart the entire game if you did that. It did. I only had yep. one save. Oh, <laughs> oh no! Never mind. You know, because this was yep. back when the game first came out, so I didn't know better about multiple saves. Right? Yeah. yeah exactly. Fair enough. That's oof. All right. Well, you know, we've we've gushed on about uh, Phoenix Wright for I, I'm I guess by my clock almost an hour now. You know, so this is usually about the time where we like to look at critic and user reviews. I think for the sake of time, we're going to skip right to some user reviews, you know, so we're going to take a look at what you, our fellow gamers, thought about Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney. And Rob, I, I pulled some good ones for you today. Oh, did you, Dave? I did. Yes. Oh, I definitely All did. All right. Well, I will guess I will take it from here. So first up, we have Peru Julien who called Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney hilarious, clever, and really fun to play. They write, Phoenix Wright is quite hard to explain to someone who never played the game, so let's put it simply. You assume the role of a young attorney with great potential and spiky hair. The game is a succession of cases in which you must prove your client is not guilty. Each case divides between investigation and trials, in which you confront and cross-examine witnesses. So basically... Phoenix Wright looks a lot like Japanese investigation game Snatcher. But in terms of game mechanics, it is totally different, most notably because of the trial scenes, which we'll talk more about later. Yeah, I have no clue what Snatcher is. Uh, Yeah, Kiefer? I've never heard of it. Okay, cool. All right. All right, we're moving on. Carry on. They continue saying that besides its original concept, Phoenix Wright is also filled with a wacky, witty sense of humor. The witnesses' names are all pun intended. Mr. Saw It. April, May, and so on. And they all have their own distinctive way of talking. For instance, the over-arrogant red white uses words like fantabolistic on a daily basis. Fantabolistic. Fantabolistic. Red white likes to make up words to make himself seem smarter. Yeah. That's a hell of a word. (laughs) They continue saying the dialogues are full of jokes and punchlines. The humor is also on the graphical side. The faces of the witnesses change as you cross-examine their testimony. Your character sweats when it is not going as good as planned with a clever use of the graphical code of the anime manga super deformed style. Yep. Very true. But the greatest part of the game still are the trials. 
Using the evidence you found in the investigation scenes, you'll try to prove the contradiction in the witness's testimonies. But rather than a dull procedure, it is filled with hysteria, humor, and excitement. Objection! Stop it! Take this! Blows the upper screen as you, or the prosecutor, who you will soon learn to hate, try to change the course of the judgment. Those scenes are incredibly funny. And if the first trials are quite easy, it becomes quickly very complicated, as your opponent is better and better able to break your defenses and put your client in danger. He concludes by saying that Phoenix Wright is probably the best game so far on the DS and an instant classic. I don't know when he wrote that to know if Phoenix Wright at the time was the best game on the DS, because there are a lot of good games on the original DS. Probably when it was released. Yeah, maybe. Which I I mean, they also never uh, paid Pokemon, so. I, I believe it was localized in 2007. Five. Well, was it five? Oh, okay. Five, uh, yeah, October 2005. 2005. Oh, was it Trials and Tribulations that was so seven then? Yeah, I believe so. I think you got, I think you got, yeah. Okay. But, um, yeah, objection. That, that's his catchphrase. You did that good, Rob. He actually ends. I watch anime. (laughs) And suddenly, and suddenly everyone was like screaming it for months after this i mean this was a thing this really was a thing you know 2005 i would have been in college the ds was a thing and um and yeah it was okay i'll give you that's that's i remember that being the thing it's unique like the writing is humorous like and it's an anime style that also wasn't a thing at the time i mean animes are way more popular now than they were back then Back then, we had what the Dragon Ball and the uh, Cowboy Bebops of the world. That's about it. Um, you uh, know, at that point, we would have had uh, the big three: so One Piece, Bleach, Naruto. Yeah, or yeah, very true. Very I was true. gonna say, I felt like Bleach and Naruto around that time. I forget One Piece. That's just I've never watched it, although I probably should. But I think it's still well. We also had you know, uh, if we're gonna talk about let's go animes that with Japanese influence. We had the Pokemons too. So yeah. Yeah. But I, let's be honest. I, I feel that though there is a, that, that influence, there's a lot more anime now, way more anime now than there was back then. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, can we really say that there's more or just that it's more Westernized or at least in the Western culture, except uh, there's more now. Okay. All right. Maybe- fair enough. I mean, I, I think it's a little bit of both. There's way more now, and because there's way more, there are more people willing to create it in more of a Western vein, I guess. So, a little bit of both. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, Rob. What's next? Well, Dave, what's next is Ruben on Metacritics. <laughs> I can't <laughs> No. All right, Cartman. Ironically, I was just putting away my Cartman shirt earlier today. So, Dave, next up we have Ruben on Metacritics, who says that Phoenix Wright was one of the few games where I didn't mind that the story overtook the actual gameplay. Well, there you go. That's the whole concept of visual novels. Thank you. Carry on. Yeah. Actually, no. This is the only game where I didn't care about simplistic gameplay at all. The writing was just that great. 
The game toys with the gamer's emotion with an absolutely masterful arrangement of music and flashy visuals, which not only enrich the story in a very unique way, but make it even better. Did I already mention that Ace Attorney also gives you a set of characters that you can actually give a crap about? Although the game could use some better graphics and less down-your-throat linearity, I strongly recommend giving Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney a go. It is one of those rare breed games that will appeal to pretty much everyone, from diehard FPS fans to RPG stat junkies. Very true. That's very true. A lot of people who were... were I mean, let's go with the first one. Diehard FPS fans uh, had a lot of Halo fan friends that that played Phoenix Wright when it came out. Uh, and two, this is word of mouth. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. The Internet was a thing, but not like it is now back then. So I, I wish I could remember how I heard of Phoenix Wright. I'm sure it was through like Ryan or one of my other friends, you know, one the Nintendo nerds of the world uh, friend friends that I have. But I don't honestly remember. That that's a bummer. Well, Rob, really, Dave, I can tell you how I heard about this uh, through this episode. No, <laughs> the the gentleman who am I invited to come talk on the show about this episode? Because oh, yes, that's how I learned about it. Oh, oh, thanks, Kiefer. Appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I learned about it from my older brother playing it on his DS. I'm like, what you playing? And then I'm like, I want that. Give me. <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was a, it was a lot of fun. I I mean, it's it's a great story, but you know. Rob, not everybody loves Phoenix Wright, though, do they? What? I know. No, no, not everyone does. Especially not Warren on Metacritic. (laughs) No, not Warren on Metacritic. Well, let me tell you why. See, Warren feels that the writing of Phoenix Wright is pretty much on par with every other anime you've ever seen. They don't hate anime. Not at all. But unlike a lot of anime fans, they realize a lot of it is just plain cliched and Phoenix Wright's writing is on that very level. But, of course, this is just a game, so the writing isn't everything. If the gameplay is challenging and interesting, it's all good. But, unfortunately, Phoenix Wright doesn't have that going for it either. The game is far, far too lenient on you. For example, you can't go to court unless you have all the evidence meaning you can't accidentally miss evidence, which would be more interesting because then cases could be easier, harder, or have different verdicts depending on your detective work. If the judge or someone else asks you a question, the answer is either extremely obvious, or if you pick the wrong one, you just get another chance to choose. And and when things get dire, the game will sometimes toss a deus ex machina factor at you to save the day. You see where I'm going with this? If the game wants to do so much for me, why am I even playing? Sometimes it's a bit difficult to find evidence when you're out investigating, and sometimes it's puzzling as to what evidence you should be presenting during a cross-examination. But that's as challenging as the game gets. Also, once you beat Phoenix Wright, you've done everything there is to do. Even fans of the game often admit this. Zero replay value. So, ultimately, you're playing a generic anime that you can easily get through just by paying a bit of attention with maybe some guesswork thrown in then you'll probably never touch it again. But at the very least, Phoenix Wright is not painful to play. Often boring, but not painful. It can even be mildly entertaining at times, and is generally likable. It's just not good, is what I'm saying. If you're a huge anime niche gamer, general Japanophile, 
you'll probably enjoy this game. But if not, at best, I'd say borrow it and see for yourself. But do not pay money for this game. A four for barely even being a game, but at least not make me want to kill myself. What? What? Uh, sounds over dramatic. Yeah, seriously. This sounds <laughs> like a review of an edgy teenager who wants more FPSs to me. <laughs> I, know. I know. I don't think there's a better way to describe that. Oh, my goodness. I mean, like, I guess someone doesn't like visual novels, right? Because every critique he has is like the basis of a visual novel. Like, yeah, you know, the gameplay doesn't have much going for it the game's too far lenient why am i playing if the game wants me to do this because that's the story like that's the concept of a visual novel oh minimal gameplay and this this guy wants a game so i I do have to say i also disagree on him saying that the writing is anime cliched i I feel like it's actually really good at not being uh cliched for the most part Actually I mean, obviously, you. there's some instances where there's a little bit where it, obviously a cliche is going to come through sometimes, but for the most part, it doesn't really get cliched until the later games where Takumi's not even heading them. Well, and I, I, I agree with you. I, I am not. It's not that I dislike anime. It's just not a genre I've ever really found much interest in. It's not my thing. And I, I don't see, I don't see it in this. Like, I I just, I don't see it in this. So I agree. I don't think it's much cliche. I don't think it, I don't think it fits that, that description at all. Thankfully. I mean, he does have a point with, there's quite a few instances where it's like, Phoenix doesn't know what to do. And then someone bursts through the door and it's like, here's your evidence. But uh, that happens uh, probably three or four times in the original trilogy. But yeah, for the most part, I think it strays away from that. Yep. Rob, I got one more for you to read, don't I? Ah, uh, you sure do, Dave. <laughs> so next up, we have Seth Yu on Metacritic, who seems to agree with, with our angry boy Warren, who says that Phoenix Wrong is a terrible addiction to the crime genre. In fact, it's a crime of the game developers to have even made this game. It starts by showing you who did the crime. What's the point letting us investigate if you've already shown who did it? It's pointless. Not to mention how bad the actual gameplay itself is. All you do is say, objection, and a cutscene plays. Do that about eight times, and you've pretty much completed the game. (laughs) If I was in the office while this game was being made, I would have objected to this game's development being pushed forward. (laughs) That's that's so funny, but it... It's true. It's also such a simplification of the game. (laughs) Yeah, both these reviews just sound like people who don't like visual novels. Yeah, very true. So let's 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 take that and expound on it and and talk about the legacy. Uh, He starts by saying that Phoenix Wright is a terrible addition to the crime genre. It's not an addition to the crime genre. It's not. That's not that's not what it is. I, I. I don't know. If anything, it's a commentary on Japan's court system. Like that's kind of the point of the series Yeah, uh, is that it's actually kind of reflective of how Japan does treat crimes where it's like they, uh, they arrest someone and then that person is basically doomed. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. 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 Very much. You know, it's the, uh, 
it's not innocent until proven guilty. It's flipped. It's guilty yeah. until yeah. we prove you innocent. Yeah. No, it's just guilty. Just yeah. guilty. hence why there's there's a few cases where it's like, okay, I've proven my client is innocent. Well, who's guilty then? I don't know. Okay, guilty. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> exactly. You you can't look at this. You got to look at Phoenix Wright for what it is to be able to appreciate it. Or maybe you can appreciate it elsewhere. But I guess in this context, if you're coming to inspect an addition to the crime genre, meaning that you want you want the traditional detective mystery, um, like, for instance, the Police Quest series, which you all probably don't know. Um, Nope. Those were mm-hmm. early crime genres. They made Sherlock Holmes games early on in the in. It's not part of the adve- the adventure, like the point. So point and click adventure games were a thing, and I I feel like this is that's closer to this, you know, in terms of what he's talking about in, in terms of the crime genre, because that's where you saw a lot of those were was in the point click adventure, um adventure genre while this is kind of a point click adventure game in one respect it doesn't relate to the genre i guess is the point i know Mm -hmm. i'm going in circles but you know i'm gonna stop going in circles now (laughs) um but it is i'm so dizzy i'm so dizzy but it's not a crime genre game what it was was a visual novel right and it basically is a game that we can credit for revitalizing visual novels as a genre in for Western audiences, because like we had said before, there weren't a lot of visual novels that were translated from Japan over to North America or Europe and and elsewhere until this was successful. And then everything just kind of took off. You know, you have the Ace Attorney series. How, How many games are there in the whole series now? Um, nine. Yeah, roughly. Aren't there nine main titles and some spinoffs? Ten. There's ten. There's six main titles. Um, four two, spinoffs. Yeah, four spinoffs, two of which are investigations and two of which are great Ace Attorney. Well, and then and then the crossover. The other really popular yes. visual, the other really very popular game was Professor Layton, which I loved Professor Layton when it came out. The puzzle, mm-hmm. that was puzzle such one. a... Oh my God, was it good? Yeah, you know, I that. yeah. I don't think there would be a Professor Layton if there wasn't an Ace Attorney. You know, like I said, it, it really opened the door for more, you know, Japanese games to come over here that were in this this type of genre. Um, Professor Layton very much eclipsed Ace Attorney did. in terms yeah. of popula- popularity, but yeah. Uh, well, I think I too, it's it's got a more mainstream appeal because it's it's a it's a it's a variety game mm-hmm. that you know what I mean. Like there, it's not one style. The puzzles in Ace Attorney have largely been the same type of puzzle, um, whereas Professor Layton has um, Professor Layton just has a lot of variety in its puzzles. So I think it just has more more appeal to different different people. That's all. Speaking of Professor Layton, Takumi also co-directed the crossover game, some elements from which ended up getting uh, reused in Great Ace Attorney. Hmm. There, uh, Rob said, as Rob said, there's an anime. I didn't know there was an anime. I haven't dove into the series since the original trilogy, to be honest. So I didn't know there was an anime. And I'm looking here. There are novels, mangas. There's a film. There's a film. 
It's actually pretty good for uh, terms of a live action film. There's a musical. What the hell? I love musicals. I still can't get over the fact that there are mangas. I mean, I have the manga sitting on my shelf in the other room, yeah, okay. actually. Yeah, yeah, Thank- no, I, I knew about the mangas. I didn't know about the mangas, though. <laughs> thanks, you know? guys. Just- yeah, yeah, thanks, guys. Got it. I get the joke. Got it. Yep. Told you, someone out there is going to call me out on my shit. Might as well be you guys right away, right? Yeah. Hey, someone's got to do it, and <laughs> oh. at least we know that we are getting it out of the way right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, yeah. give him shit. Yeah, <laughs> give him shit. Um. Well, and there, you know, let's, let's, uh, we talked about the big two, but let's be honest, there are a lot of visual novels, a uh, lot of visual novels now. It, it's a much bigger genre. It gets translated very much, um, both mainstream and probably adult visual novels, because, you know, now those are becoming more mainstream too. Yeah, there's stuff like uh, Ropa. Uh, most people know Doki Doki Literature Club. Uh, yeah. yeah yeah i played through ddlc <laughs> oh didn't no wouldn't have known that i mean the, the closest i've been is i did sit with Kiefer through a good, good amount of clonade oh did you i don't remember you sitting there but i, I believe it oh yeah that's no, like no. that's like a 90 hour long game okay so it definitely wasn't 90 hours but i spent like i don't know maybe like 10 15 with you watching you play that at some point because i was like oh what's this and then i just kind of got into it (laughs) (laughs) that's a a very long visual novel (laughs) yeah yeah and how many times have you you've completed it oh just once really yeah um that mainly because of the fact that uh in that game that's one of those games where i mentioned where uh you have to complete all the branches before you can go forward in the main line Ah, right, right. And in that one, you have to complete all the side branches before you can go to the main line, which then has side branches that you have to complete before you finish another main line. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah. Well, and you know, now that I'm thinking about it, and because you brought it up, I think, too, that this, and probably not, but it doesn't hurt. I think, too, this genre was helped by mobile gaming you know mobile gaming has become more prominent and the reason why i'm thinking about is because you said um dagonaropa the first time i ever played it was when they ported it over to ios i actually Uh, didn't know that was on mobile to be honest well uh, nine years i'm actually i'm looking it up uh 2012 is when they ported it over to ios so um yeah and i personally i think that as a I I mean, I play more mobile games than I care to admit. It's just really convenient when I'm sitting there and have nothing to do. Visual novels as a genre, uh, they do really well on phones for me, at least. So that's uh, I hadn't thought about doing I hadn't thought about that game in forever. (laughs) That's an interesting one, too. That's a same gameplay. Very dark. Very dark. I love it. I love yeah, I love that dark stuff. It's like that. Well, you know, I had an emo phase and probably a goth phase, and that just fits right in there. So hope you're not getting too attached to that character. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, you know, the, the legacy of Ace Attorney goes far and wide. Um, and I think that'll about do it from what I have for Phoenix Wright. Uh, Rob, you didn't by any chance bring anything else to the table, did you? 
Um, no, I think I'm all right. How about you, Kiefer? Any more fun facts I maybe didn't cover? Um, not that I can think of off the top of my head. I mean, I could gush about other games in the franchise that we didn't really cover, but uh, we might be here for a while if I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, there's there's always the hope that maybe we get around to some of those uh, those titles in the future. Who knows? You know? Yeah. Who knows? Uh, you know, we we've done a lot of the first game in the series, but at some point there's going to be not as many first game in the series to go to. We're going to have to go to second or third games in the series. Yeah. Depending on how long we decide to do this podcast. I I don't know yet. I'm still surprised it's been over a year and we're still here. Uh, that, yeah, that's, that's impressive. It. That's it. I'm still surprised it's been over a year and we're still here. <laughs> so. Well, gentlemen, so this week I have a gaming question of the week. We haven't done gaming question of the week in quite a while, but I I wrote one. I have some. And uh, yeah, so Rob Kiefer. Which video game character would be the most screwed if he was ever convicted of crimes and who has the best alibi? So... Are we talking like any character? Cause uh... any character, like I'm thinking, like you could even like in my mind, you can convict Mario of crimes against humanity. I mean, he curb stops turtles for God's sakes, you know? Right. Uh, um. Yeah. I mean, any video game character who who do you think would be screwed? So I feel like it's really easy to just pin this on pretty much any RPG antagonist. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Um, but Very probably true. probably the uh, worst offender in my mind is probably Kefka from Final Fantasy VI. Oh, that's one of the best villains of all time. I I mean, he successfully destroys the world. Yeah. I don't think you can get much worse than that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Except, uh, I mean, there's really no alibi for that. Um, He just, he, he would be screwed. There, there's... Not only does he destroy the world, but he does it in a fat like there's just no getting out of that at all. At all. Yeah. At all. Um, Rob, you got anyone? Well, I mean, it's kind of an obvious one, but I definitely think that Bowser is pretty screwed because, you know, we've seen him do all the things. I don't know. Bowser might have some alibis. I mean, he he's he's maybe just misunderstood. I mean, like, take take uh, take Odyssey. He he just wants to get married and settle down and start a family. That's all. But I mean, kidnapping isn't really the way to do it. Uh, maybe that's just a cultural misunderstanding. There are still civilizations out there where throwing a woman over your shoulder and carrying her to your hut is the proper way to do it. I mean, okay, yeah, maybe you're right. But wouldn't that in- indicate that she was already his woman and not just the woman of the plumber who he hates. Maybe Mario is the bad guy. You ever think of that? I mean, you could be very, very right about that. There are a lot of theories that I've heard that uh, he Mario is actually taking him away from his beloved again, her away from her beloved Ma- Mario, Mario, uh, Mario pretty much curb stops everything he sees. He breaks blocks. I mean, he in all in the interest of fairness, Mario is one of the most destructive mofos in gaming. <laughs> does it break i'm gonna break it yeah, right <laughs> i mean yeah, you yeah. know yeah property destruction vandalism you know i don't i don't I, animal abuse animal <laughs> abuse 
you know, maybe, maybe just maybe for Mario Sunshine, that's him having to serve community service and clean up the island for some some BS he did. Uh, but man, I, I don't know. At least Sonic is trying to rescue furry animals. I mean... Meanwhile, Mario's punching him in the back of the head. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I mean, that dude, I think maybe we've got it all wrong. I, You know, <laughs> it's a me, Mario. Yeah, uh, we know, guy. Trust me, we've seen it all. Uh, oh, oh, we're not going to make it over this cliff? Bye. I'm jumping <laughs> off of you. You're dead, though. <laughs> I, know. I know, poor Yoshi's. Oh, how 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 many how many poor Yoshis has he murdered to get where I mean that dude is ruthless. Mario is freaking ruthless. <laughs> oh yeah, you, you, you might you might be right there. He he might be. Uh yeah, no, yeah. But I'm thinking about the second part of that question, you know, for the the concept of who has the best alibi, and I I don't know the answer to that. Like, who does have a good alibi? So I've got one for that. All right. I've actually got two technically different iterations of one character. Sort okay. of. Um, so Princess Zelda, right? Mm-hmm. In Ocarina of Time, she's being chased after for seven years and she's not caught. She's only caught because she shows herself in a very inopportune place. So yeah. if she can get away with something for seven years, I think that's a that's pretty good. <laughs> that's true meanwhile there's also skyward sword zelda who puts herself inside of a crystal for a thousand years you can't really do much if you're stuck inside of a crystal right so there's your alibi yeah yeah very i mean the same can then be said about link in In breath Breath of the wild Wild. yeah i was thinking the same thing as he was saying that exactly i've been asleep for a hundred years why y'all putting this on me guys i mean i was sleeping yeah, yeah, but like a couple millennia versus a hundred years, I think Zelda wins out here. <laughs> I mean, uh, I suppose. I don't know, um, man. There's, there's. I probably... mean, okay, maybe. What about Skull Kid though? In Majora's Mask, like the mask did it. Hmm? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I'm thinking about other things like, like who, like. And I go from alibis to wrong place. Wrong, uh, see, I was like Aerith. You know, she was just a flower girl minding her own business. What the hell, guys? <laughs> um, I don't know, man. I, it's I, a tough one. I know. I, I I just go back. I I think Mario is one of the most ruthless people ever. So I'm I'm gonna stick with that. Yeah, but I, like I mean, but but you're right. You know, yeah, Kiefer, you start out by saying that you think it's it's really easy to do this with just about any uh, RPG character, even yourself. Like, let's talk about any any RPG character. You know, Zelda breaking pots. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it, hell, Skyrim. Uh, who doesn't steal everything they possibly can? I mean, After for real. putting a pot over the shopkeeper's head. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, God, can you imagine like a, a like Master Chief? I mean, that ma- I mean, what if the aliens aren't the bad guys? What if there's some galactic federation and he's one of the biggest perpetrator of war crimes ever seen type deal well i mean if you take a consideration to halo 2 where they're or three where they're fighting together i mean kind of have some merit to that i mean he also breaks chain of command which could be punishable by uh, military code yep true very 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 true true. 
Quite often, might I add, he does that. Yeah, what a guy. Yeah. I think uh I think those are all good ones. I, I think I think those are all good answers. So Alright, well, I think I think on that note we'll uh we'll wrap up since none of us have anything to add. You know, we spent um time today talking about other animes like the Pokemon series and other people that contributed to this game, you know, and, and the genre, like Yuji Hori, who created the the visual novel genre. Now, if you'd like to learn more about these people, you know, you can go back to our episode archives on our website, which is www.memorycardlane.com. I was going to get there eventually, I promise. Also on our website at memorycardlane.com, you know, you can find all the notes from my shows. You can find a calendar of upcoming episodes uh, where you can submit your own questions, stories, etc., you can find my biography. Rob, you never met your goal of writing yours in a year. Just Yeah, you still haven't done that, huh? No, he still <laughs> hasn't done that. No. Yeah. It's been, what, 20, 25 episodes since I was on last? You still yeah, haven't pretty, done that? Pretty, pretty much. <laughs> well, it, it's a work in progress, guys. I'm, uh, I'm getting there. I know. You can find links to support us on Patreon or links to join our community on Discord where uh, last week we played Battlefield, the open beta Battlefield. Rob, how did you feel real quick, you know, since we're still here? How'd you feel that went? How 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 did you like your huge Battlefield fan? Did you like your beta? I am very impressed with the game. I think that if everything that was in the beta, with the exception of bugs, because obviously you're going to have bugs at an early release beta playing game, if they keep a lot of the ideas in the game, I think it will be very phenomenal. Um, I know some people dislike the ability to change attachments on your weapon in the field. I think that's a great addition because I don't always want to use my eight times scope and need like a four times or something. You know, being able to change it is great. You would normally possibly probably carry a second scope to switch to when you are able to. Um, I love the flying in the game. It's I, I had very little issue with it. Um, I had a little stutter, which could have very well have been my computer as opposed to the actual game. Um, but flying was very simple. I loved flying the uh, Osprey. Um, yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed it. I obviously I, I have only mostly only good things to say. A few things that I can say negatively. I understand because it's in development. So phenomenal for me already i'm excited how did you feel about it dave i had fun playing with you guys i'm not sure if i like how much i think it's trying to be call of duty compared to the last like battlefield 5 um i i feel like i feel like the i i don't know i i I don't know. I think that I think that it's trying to appeal more to the mainstream mainstream audience. That's all. And I can definitely see and agree with that. Um, it's definitely not Battlefield 1942 or even 2142. But I mean, you know, they're trying to appeal to the masses because they want the most people to buy their game. And you're going to have some sacrifices you have to make. And, you know, I granted, obviously, we fell in love with the original play style, but yeah. It's not terrible. I mean, it, no. I really enjoyed it. I, no. I definitely see myself spending a lot of time playing this once the game actually releases. So uh, 
I'm definitely excited for it. Yeah, there wasn't really anything to dissuade me from playing Battlefield, but I I I wish I wish they I Battlefield 5 plays well. It like it moves well, it feels well, it plays well, and I wish they would have kept some more of that. Um but they didn't. They're trying something different and it's fun. It's fun. I'm not going to disagree with you. I had fun. It's still it's still a Battlefield and I enjoyed it. So But yeah. All right. It's so bizarre. Uh, let's let's take it out of here. So as we wrap up every episode, you know, the goal each week is to teach you all something new about the game, what it took from the world as its inspiration and what it gave back to the world as its legacy. We gave you a whole lot of all three today. So round table, uh, let's find out what everyone learns. I'll start with you, Rob. Rob, what was your biggest takeaway? Uh, that this game came from the creator getting accused of stealing a piggy bank and some money. Yeah, the childhood story is a good one. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, I had never played far enough in it to see the the episode with the classroom trial and learn about that because I didn't get that far in the anime, and obviously I've never played the games. But uh, it's pretty cool to learn that actually a life experience not only is what inspired him to create this game, but also that it actually became something that was in the game right yeah you don't you honestly don't get a whole lot of that you don't get a whole lot of that so you're right it's kind of cool heck yeah all right Kiefer. uh i only we only really invite you to games that you know very well so if you tell me you didn't learn anything you're not going to hurt my feelings no i i did learn a couple things specifically regarding the um um the invention of the genre not really invention but yeah you, the portopia murder mystery yeah uh i i actually didn't know yuji hori worked on that so that's a that's a cool fact to know and um i also didn't really know uh that takumi the, the games that takumi worked on prior to phoenix right either so those are I, interesting I, to I, learn I about as well the dino crisis might be a, a gap for y'all huh uh, yeah, i'm yes. not familiar i'm not familiar with dino crisis Oh, all right. So we learned about, and I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I too, uh, that was my takeaway too. I, I don't even know how I missed it when we talked about uh, Yuji Hori. Maybe because I was so focused on Dragon Quest and uh, Chrono Trigger, but I, I missed that he basically invented, you know, the visual novel genre too. So that was a, that's a new fun fact for me as well. So. All right. Well, I'm gonna start by saying thank you, Kiefer. It's always a pleasure when you come on. I. I always appreciate your wealth of knowledge about all the games that we talk about. And it's a lot of fun to be able to bounce that off of off of other fans of the series that we cover. So thank you very much for joining us again. For sure. I enjoyed myself as well. Uh, glad to talk about this kind of stuff with people. Rob, Hell yeah. what do you got before I take it out of here? Well, like Dave, I want to say thank you, Kiefer. You know, I enjoy spending time with you. And it's always great hearing about things you're passionate about because Boy, do you have some passion. <laughs> it's fun. I enjoy it. I love the passion. And, uh, you know, thank you for being here. I know you love being here. and We love having you anytime. Anything, even if you don't know the game that well, come enjoy it. It's, it's nice having someone to banter with and make Dave feel old and out of out of the loop. <laughs> yeah, we don't know that old. game, Dave. <laughs> always. Every time I do anything with you and your, your friends, I always feel, man, last night you all were just razzing on me left and right. 
<laughs> hey, you kind of walked into it yourself. On I mean, that I one. always walk into it. You opened the it. floodgate. I know. So we just, I know. We, you can't stop the flood once you open the gate. So stop opening the gate and you won't get the flood. Neener, neener, neener. I was here for the creation of all this shit. So. <laughs> and just dating yourself again. <laughs> and since Dave didn't ask Kiefer, are you on social media these days? Uh, I am. You can find me on Twitter at, uh, at Lion Liar, L-Y-O-N-L-Y-R-E. Um, I don't really post a whole lot, but if you like seeing me retweet and like random anime art, there you go. <laughs> Ooh, sounds good to me. I didn't do social media at all, Rob, so I guess you can do your plug. Well, I guess if I ever finally get around to it, because I say every week that I do, but I still have yet to get to it. But I'm doing some stuff to get there. I will be found streaming on twitch.tv forward slash F-A-T-B-O-I-R-I-P-Z. Speaking of, you can also find my Twitch channel at Lion Liar. Do you stream? Uh, Not in a while, but I do occasionally. Yeah, I have a Twitch channel and a Twitter channel that I, I moderately use. I don't Twitch stream at all, but my Twitter handle is david underscore is underscore wrong that's my twitch handle too and mostly it's um rocket league highlights that aren't that exciting because i'm just a mediocre player so if you like mediocre rocket league i'm your guy that you are dave that you are (laughs) (laughs) hey sometimes banter over some mediocre gameplay is all you need yeah, well, well exactly. you know, there's no lack of passion there. Let's just put it that way. Maybe mediocre gameplay, but no lack of passion there. So, hey, all That's you got to do need. is look at the hours played, and that says it all. Mm-hmm. You clearly enjoy the game enough to keep going. So, who oh, cares if you're not God. good? I know I'm such a glutton for punishment. Rob, what else you got? Well, after thanking Kiefer, just got to take a moment to say thank you to our listeners. We love having you here. We hope you love being here. We're going to keep doing it for as long as we feel like doing it. And we hope you feel like listening just as long as we feel like doing it. So, yeah, tell us about it. We love to hear from you. And again, thank you. It means yes, a lot. Yes, thank you. It really you. does. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, well, I'm going to take it out of here. So, ladies and gents, next week we're going to take a look at one of the most uh, revered boxing sports video games ever created. We boxing. We know <laughs> not we boxing. Damn it. Uh, I you know what? I had I hadn't even thought about we boxing in so long before you even said anything. Uh, it, um yeah. But you know, fun side note, I have boxing. I have I have what two, three. I have three different boxing titles on my Oculus and um they're pretty good actually. Boxing in VR is a lot of fun. It's a good workout too. So this game was created as a port of one of Nintendo's earlier arcade titles. Uh, And of course, it's Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. And it really only slightly resembles the arcade version of Punch-Out. There's a new boxer. There's a new plot. There's new cutscenes, And all of this are the reasons why Mike Tyson's Punch-Out was way more successful than its arcade uh, brethren. Uh, we're going to be looking at all these changes. We're going to be talking about all the different versions of this game. You know, there's Mike Tyson's punch out. Then there's Mr. Dreams punch out. There's punch out for the arcade. There's a whole lot of variation. We're going to have some fun. We're going to look at all of them. So if you're so inclined to learn about punch out, join us again next week. 
put on those gloves, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, and join us for next week's boxing-filled trip down memory card lane. Do the thing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>